0: It was a round for the Buckeyes in Week 1. Could things get any tougher against Tulsa? I'm Steve
1: Brown. And I'm Thomas Bradley. This is After the Score.
0: Come to you after the score, 89.7's weekly look at sports this week.
1: It's the kickoff of the NFL season. We'll talk to reporters in Cleveland and Cincinnati. It is the start of the football season, but there's also world-class hockey in Columbus this weekend. We'll talk to a beat writer about the match between Team USA and Team Canada at Nationwide Arena. But first, 77 to 77-10. Did I read that right, Thomas? You got it right. All
0: 700-something yards, 77 points a blowout. OSU really laid waste to Bowling Green in the season opener. The beginning of the game might have worried some Buckeye fans, but you know, talent did win out and OSU outscored BG 42 to nothing in the second half.
1: Joining us now on the phone is Kelly Hines. She covers Tulsa football for the Tulsa World. Kelly, thanks for joining us.
0: Oh, thanks for having me.
1: First off, I have to
0: ask, my curiosity is getting the best of me. What is a golden hurricane? <laughs>
2: um, that's a very popular question this week uh, that goes back to the 20s. Um, the, the coach uh, of CU at the time um, wanted uh, the team to be called the um, like Golden Tornado, and uh, that was kind of already being taken by Georgia Tech at the time, and so he decided to make it Golden Hurricane. And um, despite all the crazy weather we get in Oklahoma, there are not hurricanes. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a question that comes up quite a bit.
1: Tulsa went 6-6 six and six last year in the regular season and lost to Virginia Tech in the bowl game. Is this team better or worse than the team last year? They had an impressive start in their first game, but is this a better team or a worse team?
2: Um, I would say uh, most likely better. I think here, too, in, in any system, you're going to expect some improvement. But I think, um, more than anything, uh, there's a lot um, expected in terms of improvement from the defense, which has not been very good the last couple of years. So, um, you know, I think that they they showed a lot of improvement in in the first game. Um, San Jose State doesn't have a very prolific offense, but uh, you could just tell that Tulsa's um, defense had a lot more speed, um, tackled a lot better, just responded more quickly all the way around. And I think really at every position group, it's better than what it was last year. Uh,
0: who are some of the best players for Tulsa that OSU fans should watch out for this weekend?
2: Uh, I think it definitely starts with Dane Evans. You know, He's a fifth-year senior who's played in a lot of games. He's on track to become the top passer in history, and I don't think many people expected that um, during his retro freshman year when he's kind of thrust to action and, and had a tough time early on. Uh, but he's improved so much year to year, and uh, he has some good weapons to throw, too. Stephen Lucas is kind of the go-to guy, I uh, mostly play slot receiver, and is able to pick up a lot of yards after the catch. Um, they have some a couple wideouts to keep an eye on. Josh Atkinson had a, a breakout season last year at the 1,000 yards, and a lot expected of him this year. A younger guy, uh, the other starting wideout, Justin Hobbs, I think he's kind of an up-and-comer. So uh, those are ones that I think will be, uh, you know, they have a, a primary running back in D'Angelo Brewer, who put on some weight in the off season and kind of bulked up, and uh, has some potential. But I think it's it's going to for to have any sort of shot. It's going to have to depend on the passing game.
0: What needs to happen in order for Tulsa to beat Ohio State this weekend? They are a, a heavy underdog, but w- what would need to go right for that to happen?
2: I think everything would have to go right for Tulsa and most everything would have to go wrong for our state. I mean, it's it's a pretty big difficulty in terms of talent. And, um, you know, it's going to be a a tough battle for um, a team like Tulsa that that is still, you know, a program on the rise and playing in, uh, you know, what will be – playing in front of what will be the largest crowd for any um, game involving TU and program history. So uh, I think, you know, it will be important for TU to kind of, Match Ohio State, especially in the first quarter, if they're able to do that and kind of um, hang around, and I think it would require you know crazy takeaways and just you know bizarre things happening. And obviously, like I said, for, for Dan Evans to have field day, so um, you know I could see how uh, you know you look at what happened to Bowling Green last week, and I don't think Bowling Green is a bad team. It just seems to spiral out of control in a hurry. So I think folks' going to have to try to find a way. Event,
0: that to Kelly Hines covers the University of Tulsa football team for the Tulsa World. They take on the Ohio State Buckeyes this Saturday in Ohio Stadium. Kelly, good to talk to you. Oh,
2: thanks for having me.
0: Many of the world's best hockey players will be inside Nationwide Arena tonight for a match between the USA and Canada as the teams get ready for the World Cup of Hockey that starts next week. For a preview, we're joined now by Columbus Dispatch hockey writer Aaron Portsline. Great to have you back, Aaron.
3: Good morning,
0: Steve. How are you? I'm I'm terrific. So we'll start with a non-hockey issue. Columbus Blue Jackets and U.S. National Team Head Coach John Tortorella has taken much of the spotlight really away from this game with his comments this week about the National Anthem and Colin Kaepernick's decision to sit to protest the treatment of minorities by police. I, I wanted to play a quick snippet of what Tortorella said this week to ESPN. Protest.
3: You know, speak your mind. But to drag an anthem in and a flag in, there's no chance.
1: There are other ways to do it.
0: Tortorella has said he's not backing down, and he would bench any player who chose to sit during the National Anthem during the World Cup. How much pushback is he getting for this?
3: Well, I think he's getting a lot of attention from around the the country, certainly, and, and in some ways the world. As you said, it has overshadowed, or at least it's been a talking point heading into this game that, that maybe Team USA would not have wanted. His most poignant quote was that, If one of his players decides to sit for the playing of the National Anthem, he's going to sit for the rest of the game. He'll stay right on that bench. It's, uh, you know, this is personal for John Tortorella. Certainly he has a son uh, who is an Army Ranger who is currently overseas. He doesn't know where. He does very much conflate the flag, the military, uh, the the anthem, all of these things, and uh, as always was rather articulate and and, uh, bold doesn't doesn't measure words, just said it, it, exactly his feelings, and you know it. it, um, it I, I think this is an issue that is going to be in the spotlight for a while with mm-hmm. us. I don't expect any of the players are going to sit uh, on the U.S. bench tomorrow, but it, it is starting to take root with athletes around the country.
0: Uh, let's take a look at the actual hockey being played in nationwide. This will basically be an all-star game with all of these great players from yeah. the U.S. and Canada. G- give us kind of a who's who of who's on these teams.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating, really. The Canadian team, they they could field two of these squads easily. They're so talented and so deep that Corey Perry of the Anaheim Ducks is the extra forward. He's not likely to play uh, Friday and perhaps beyond. This is a 50-goal scorer just a few years ago, a 30-goal scorer almost every year, a perennial all-star. He's not able to crack Canada's lineup. That gives you an idea of how deep and how talented Canada is. What's interesting about the U.S. team is they're not they couldn't match uh, star for star with Canada. They just aren't. There's not that depth of high-end talent in the U.S. that there is in Canada. They have built their roster to match up with Canada to cancel Canada's great skill. So you've got Brandon Dubinsky of the Blue Jackets who's not played on a level uh, like this before. You've got Kyle Palmieri of the Anaheim Ducks who maybe doesn't have the resume that you would expect of a World uh, World Cup-type roster. Phil Kessel, a great American hockey player who was a, a real standout player for the Pittsburgh Penguins last year in the Stanley Cup, did not miss this team. They don't want that sort of fringe offensive sniper. They want a combative, confrontational, physical type of team and that's how they've put them together to confront Canada and to beat Canada.
0: We've talked about John Tortorella and Brandon Dubinsky with uh, the Blue Jackets head coach and some other players participating with the national team. Could this potentially affect their preseason preparation?
3: Well, yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, I, I don't know if it, if it will affect it to the positive or to the negative, but they are now up and running. Uh, three, this is their fourth day of practices. They'll have an exhibition game, a very high-paced exhibition game tomorrow night. Whereas the other players are going to be coming into town. Some of them are already here. They're going to be on the ice for training camp on the 23rd of September. By then, these guys will be really going with the actual tournament, not the exhibition games, the actual tournament. So for them, they're going to step back into training camp early part of October. They will have already been playing at a high rate of speed. So it's a different preparation for these guys than it is for the players who are not competing in this.
0: A quick comment about our hometown team, the Blue Jackets. They were the fourth worst team in all of the NHL last season. I'm sure coaches are staying positive and saying the right things, but what are the the realistic expectations for this team in the season coming up?
3: I I don't think that's ever been a more difficult question about this team. There is the ability on this roster, no question, to be competitive, to be in the mix, to play with almost anybody in the league. There are two main factors that have to change. Sergei Bobrovsky has to stay healthy. He's had groin issues for three straight years. And the captain, Nick Foligno, has to get back to being the offensive uh, contributor that he was just two years ago. He went from 31 goals to 12 last year. They cannot have that. They have a lot of young players that they hope are going to push the veterans for playing time. But I I think anybody who says they know how this Blue Jackets team is going to fare in 2016-17 is fooling themselves. This is a team that has a very large question mark over
0: it. Aaron Portsline covers the Blue Jackets and all things hockey for the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, Thanks again for your time, Aaron. My pleasure. It is week one of the National Football League season. Every team's still a contender. Uh, we'll wait till week two, till the Browns are not a contender. We'll talk to a beat writer in Cleveland
1: coming up in a few minutes. First, we go down south to Cincinnati. Yeah, I had a conversation with Grant Freaking. He covers the Cincinnati Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine. The Bengals, an interesting team going for their sixth straight playoff appearance this year.
0: And how did the first five turn out the last No five? wins
1: so far, but looking for that first win since 1990, <laughs> basically since I've been alive. The Bengals have a solid team and have had a, a firm grasp on this division, at least the top of the division in the last couple of years, and uh, they'll look to continue to do that.
4: It's playoffs again, man, and it's, it's crazy that they could make the playoffs six years in a row. With someone who grew up in Cincinnati during the last decade of the 90s when they were so futile. To think that they could and during that time they didn't even come close to sniffing the postseason, not even close. That so they could make it six years in a row is sort of unfathomable. But the expectation is, you know, they should be a playoff team. I don't think they're they're an elite team. Um, you know, I don't I think they're they're going to take maybe a step back from last year's twelve and four campaign. But I, the expectation is playoffs six year, year in a row for sure.
1: Well, the realistic goal is now a playoff win. That's got to be the expectation now. They've they've accomplished getting to the playoffs and have not had a playoff win since about the time I was born back in 1990, that's got to right. be the goal for the Bengals now.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the fan base, you know, it's, it's been, the past couple of years, it's just been lingering over the season, right? And especially this past year uh, with the, the manner in which they lost at home, they had the game in their grasp and the Together, Jeremy Hill's fumble, and then the, the antics of Von Tex and uh, Adam pacman Jones that kind of caused that game to flip away. Um, but I think, you know, you got to try to enjoy the season. The fact that they are one of the more, the NFL's more stable franchises, which again is quite shocking to think. Um, but yes, the expectation is playoffs and they got to get that win. But uh, I don't think when they're losing a the playoff, Marvin, Marvin Lewis is any sort of, uh, you know, his job won't be in question. I don't think if they if they lose again in the playoffs. But yeah, so they, the fan base is dying, as you say, to to win to snap the NFL's longest playoff winless streak.
1: You mentioned Vontez Perfect in the game against the Steelers, in which they lost in the playoffs. He, you mentioned. I think you called him shenanigans or, or or antics. He right. he's suspended for the first three games this year for his hit. Uh, against the Steelers, and he he said he needs to change as a player because the league is changing. Talk about Burfick's transition as a player that he says he needs to make.
4: Well, he frankly just needs to keep himself under control in in a few key moments because he missed the last the first excuse me the first six games of last season coming back from a major knee injury. Throughout most of last year, he was fine, um, but the penalty the, the suspension he he garnered from the NFL was. You know, the cherry on top was a hit on Antonio Brown that knocked Antonio Brown not only out of the the game they were currently playing, but against the Steelers' next game against the Broncos in the postseason. It was the accumulation of all of the plays that he got caught for, you know, the, the personal fouls and also the ones that kind of surfaced after games where he would be caught twisting the ankle of Cam Newton two years ago, or he was a little extra aggressive in knocking out Ben Roethlisberger, or his questionable hit on Le'Veon Bell earlier in the season. It was all that accumulation and sort of his reckless behavior and his only choice is to change because if he keeps acting the way he has, he's going to keep getting suspended and costing himself money. So he only has one choice. You know, the Bengals should be fine without him for the first three weeks, even though they are, you know, that their their opening schedule at New York, uh, at Pittsburgh, and then home versus the defending Super Bowl champion Broncos is tough. Um, but they they can get well, get on well without him. It, you know, playing without perfect for the Bengals is sort of cutting off some of the ceiling of the defense that it removes a sort of the a game-changing and a game-breaking presence for them and kind of makes them a little bit more of a vanilla on defense. But they can get along just fine without him. It's sort of up to Vontaze to kind of back up his talk of sort of adjusting the way and the manner in which he plays and sort of just toning it down just a little bit.
1: This isn't the first time, though, that the Bengals have had problems with character, uh, either on the field or off the field. It's kind of been haunting them for a little while. Do they, do they have a public image problem right now do they need to turn that around with with perfect this this coming season what's no, i think
4: that, i think in i think in this case it's sort of just a singular just a singular grandeur moment of of just losing their cool i think the whole i think the whole the, the, the Bengals and their troubles with the law i think that stuff is three four years in the past there are many other teams that have other ones that are hiring you know guys who beat you beat women or you know have various other serious offenses. The Bengals have mostly stayed clear of the, of the police water the last couple of years. Um, I, I think it's just one this one distinction of whether I think the the the, the recklessness is sort of connected to the playoff game and just a singular moment in, in this case, rather than just connecting it the dots back to their issues back at you know five six years ago.
1: The NFL as a whole is shifting and has shifted toward a passing league. Uh, Wide receivers and quarterbacks are at a premium, and they can make or break the game. Talk about the Bengals' wide receiving court. It all starts with A.J. Green. What's behind him and and how Andy Dalton will will be able to distribute the ball across the field?
4: Well, yes, it all starts with A.J. Green. But actually, last year they kind of got away from forcing the ball into Green a little bit more, which actually caused, helped cause uh, Andy Dalton, Bengals quarterback, to have the uh, lowest interception rate of his career. And that's because they were comfortable throwing the ball to Marvin Jones and Bahamut Sanu. Well, those two guys aren't there anymore. And at least for the first probably couple weeks, neither is star tight end Tyler Eifert. He's out with an injury. Jones and Sanu are playing for different teams now. Um, So behind A.J. Green now is uh, Tyler Boyd, the Bengals' second-round pick uh, out of the University of Pittsburgh. He's sort of drawn rave reviews uh in the preseason but you know he hasn't never played an NFL snap for a real one at least so you know there's a little bit of uncertainty there he'll be playing a little bit more in the slot uh this, this season and then there's a veteran Brandon LaFell, who sort of barely saw the field um this preseason he's played for the Patriots among other teams in the past um it's going to be a little bit patchwork, we're going to start but i think you know the Bengals also lost offensive the quarter Hugh Jackson for to the, for the Browns He's the new coach of the Browns up there so it should be interesting to see if the Bengals, under new offensive coordinator, Kansas and PC, try to um, run the ball a little bit more effectively than they did last year. The numbers don't look terrible for their running game last year, but anyone who watched them game-to-game game and week-to-week week noticed that there was just a lack of consistency and, able, and lack of an ability to run the ball in key moments last season.
1: Grant Freaking covers the Cincinnati Bengals and Cincinnati sports for Cincinnati Magazine. Grant, thanks for joining me. No problem, man. And on a
0: Saturday note, let's head up to Cleveland where the Browns um, are—they've taken it down
1: to the studs this year. It's not a rebuild. It's a total gut job. This team um, is—it's tough to say positive things about this team.
0: It is tough to say positive things.
1: They are young. That's a positive. They've got a future ahead of them, but for the 2016 season, do not expect much from Cleveland. They are not your Cavs. They are not your Indians. They are a letdown. In Cleveland,
0: yeah, I hope they're watching the movie Major League a lot this season because that's kind of the the role that they need to take on. They, they're they're heavy underdogs. They have some, they do have some good young players. Uh, anyway, we, we caught up with Zach Meisel. He uh, covers the team for Cleveland. dot com and the Plain Dealer. So Zach, the Browns picked up Robert Griffin the Third out of the clearance bin during the offseason uh, after he couldn't see the field in Washington. Have you seen anything of RG3 to to make you think that he's even half the quarterback that he was in 2012 when he was Offensive Rookie of the Year?
5: Yeah, you know, I think there are some things that they do like. Uh, time's going to tell whether he's got any semblance of the athleticism that he had, of the decision-making skills, the arm strength, all that stuff. But they do like, I mean, they like his leadership ability. They like his experience because this is a super, super young team. And I, I think they like his, you know, like his command in the huddle, that kind of stuff. So yeah, th- there are certain things that they like, but really until you get out there on the field and, and you're playing against the other team's top defense and, you know, you're you're in the fourth quarter and, and you're tired and you're beat up and, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of unknowns still and there will probably be a lot of unknowns even a few weeks from now. So I think they like certain things, like the things that you can like about him from a limited sample size in the preseason and training camp they like. But there's still so much we don't know that, you know, it's 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 tough to get too excited at this point just because, you know, we haven't really seen, seen this, this group or this offense or RG3 play anything that really matters.
1: I've seen NFL power rankings out there that have the Browns in dead last, but we're also dealing with a quarterback who's trying to rejuvenate his career, trying to bring his name back into relevancy in the NFL. So if you're the Browns organization, you might be looking toward next year already. But if you're RG3, you want to really put a stamp on your job as a quarterback. So where is the balance there? Where is the balance between giving RG3 the weapons he needs to be an effective quarterback and preparing for the future?
5: always the tough part about this is it's it's like when the Browns in past years it's you almost want them to lose late in the season so they get a better draft pick but if you're the head coach you're trying to win some games and save your job so it's tough I mean the Browns certainly aren't they, they have a ton of cap space they're not going out and signing free agents and you know filling this roster with, with tons of talent because they know they're a few years away from being good and and, and contending so. It's tough, you know. How how do you fairly evaluate RG three without a bunch of weapons around him, without a really good offensive line? And it's it's tough to say. I mean, they like what they have in the receiving core. You've got a bunch of projects, though. I mean, Josh Gordon's going to be suspended for the first four games, and he hasn't really played consistently in a few years. Uh, Terrell Pryor has never really been an NFL wide receiver. Corey Coleman is a rookie, so. Those three guys have a lot of potential, but you really don't know. And they they have a few guys at running back who have a little bit of experience, but not a lot. They've got an offensive line that is really young and inexperienced. So you're right, it's tough. I mean, you you want to evaluate RG3, and you want to see if maybe he can be the guy to hold down the fort for another year or, or even more. And yet, at the same time, it's like, well, it's not like you're, you're putting pro bowlers around him or guys with experience. So it's tough, and the offense looked actually pretty good in the preseason, um, and it is just the preseason, so we don't really know what it means. But it certainly looks better than the defense. So I think there is some hope there that by the end of the season, once these guys get their feet wet and get a little experience, uh, that'll probably be the strength of the team. But, again, it's, it's so hard to say, and it's really tough to evaluate. Um, and it's, it's going to be interesting when I mean you look at the division they're going to have to face the Steelers defense, the Ravens defense, the Bengals defense. I mean, those are three teams who typically have good defenses. So it's it's not like they're going to be able to just go back sit back in the pocket and, and throw the ball downfield. You know, it might be it might be a tough go. So we'll see. I mean, it's 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 strange. They're in kind of a weird place just because it's it's not like. I mean, if you if you really ask the front office, they're going to tell you, you know, they don't expect to win 12 games this year. So uh, they're kind of evaluating for the long term, and yet in the short term, I don't think they have the pieces that, you know, RG3 really needs around him to succeed.
0: You mentioned Josh Gordon. He is still so fascinating to me. He spent so much time on suspension after failing all these drug tests. And then he comes back in the preseason against really top-notch defensive backs like Desmond Trufant and Britt Grimes. And he just abuses them. He makes them look like high schoolers, and it's it's so infuriating to watch. Because this this guy could be a Hall of Famer.
5: It, it's this this franchise is weird. I mean, and this is I mean, we could talk for hours. <laughs> That's kind and hours to, to talk a
1: kind to way to put it.
5: Yeah, because it, it's every every year is a rebuild. I mean, it, it's it's I had a conversation recently where it's asked, you know how many times can you start from scratch and you have to, because you bring, you bring in a new, a new regime, a new front office every couple of years and you're starting from scratch. And, and Joe Thomas is the one guy who's been here through, I don't know. I mean, you can't even, you lose track of how many coaches he's had and how many general managers he's had. And um, it, it may, it's like, what, what, what are you building toward? I mean, we don't even know. And it, it's, it's weird. It, it's, You've, we've seen predictions of this team going 0-16 this year. Um, there are some fans who say, "Well, maybe they can overachieve and 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 win five or six games." I mean, it's it's hard because in the NFL we see it every year where you see a team go from three and thirteen to like ten and six. But you have to have so many things go your way, and you have to draft properly. You have to have good coaches in place. You have to have good schemes and, and whatnot. And it's like with the Browns. I understand what they're doing. They've traded away so many veterans, and and they've stocked up on draft picks, and um, they're clearly building for the future a few years from now, but it's like you still have to nail those draft picks, and you still have to have the right people in place, and it's a big risk. And the previous, I don't know, seven regimes since 1999 when the Browns came back got it wrong. So it's tough to just assume that, hey, they're on the right path, and this is going to be the time that they get it right. And so... I know this is kind of a convoluted answer to your question, but it's, it's like um, it's so hard to just know that whether or not this, this team has things going in the right direction.
1: So the storyline for the Browns over the last several years is the number of starting quarterbacks they've had since they've come back as an organization. Uh, I don't know what the number's at, but how many starting quarterbacks do you think the Browns will have this year, and where do you expect them to finish in the NFL. Are you on the 0 and 16 bandwagon or are you somewhere around four to five games you mentioned?
2: I think they can
5: run into a couple wins, maybe by accident. Um, I think, I mean, they've got the opening week, they play Philadelphia with the rookie quarterback, and I think that's there for the taking. Um, I think we'll see multiple quarterbacks. I do think RG3 has some stuff left. I think he can have a decent season uh, if he's protected well. But it's tough to start 16 games. It's tough to do it behind a shaky offensive line. It's tough to do it when you've had the injury history that he has. So I think we'll see quarterbacks 25, 26, maybe 27, and this thing just never seems to end.
0: The most infuriating part, again, is that the Browns have so much young talent that you can kind of almost talk yourself into, into rookies like Carl Nassib being good and then Ogbug being good, Corey Coleman, Danny Shelton making a leap, Nate Orchard, and you can kind of, you can kind of get that, that really cliche Cleveland optimism for no real reason.
1: You just, you just talk yourself into all these draft picks. Steve's, Steve's talking himself into it right <laughs> now. Trying, he's, he's trying to be optimistic. I've been
0: trying to talk myself into it, and you can almost do it, but not quite. Um, Zach Meisel from cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Thanks again, and here's to an interesting season.
1: You bet.
5: It's always interesting. That's the one thing.
0: And that will do it for this week's edition of After the Score. You can find an archive of episodes using our mobile
1: app. You can also find them on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, at After the Score. Until next week, I'm Thomas Bradley. And I'm Steve Brown.